Well, good morning, Downtown Harbor Church. How is everybody? Yeah. Well, well, listen, Adam's listening online. I just have to say, Adam, you're not here, and it's the biggest crowd we've had in a while. <laughs> I don't, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. But, uh, so if you're new, and welcome you to Downtown Harbor Church. My name is John Garippa. I'm the executive director here. And so I know we talked about it in the announcements, but I want to make sure that people listening to our podcast kind of understand why they're hearing me today if they're used to hearing to Adam Duckworth. We believe that as a church, it's our job to kind of give you guys the best that we can give you in terms of spiritual education. And we think that the best way to do that is to present multiple communicators. We think that the general pattern in churches is that you guys hear from one person every Sunday. And we're not saying that's a bad thing. We're just saying that's not the way that we think things should be done. That's why we gave Adam the title lead communicator. He is just one of many communicators. So I'm here today. You're going to hear from me a couple other times this year. But one of the things we're really excited about is that in March, we're bringing down a brand new guy. He's going to be a guest communicator here at Downtown Harbor Church. And his name is Adam Boyle. Now, Adam Boyle's from Atlanta. And Adam Boyle works with North Point Ministries. And if you're not familiar with that name, that's Andy Stanley's church. It's a top quality product. And we want to make sure we bring you guys the best. Now, here's the deal. He's Irish. And he's got a great Irish accent, so we're bringing him down just before St. Patty's Day to kind of prime the pump, because we're going to be going to the parade of the church. I know next week we're going to be going to the um, jazz brunch. In March, we're doing the St. Patty's Day parade. This is just our idea. We want to get involved with what the city's already doing, rather than creating our own event. So, today we're wrapping up a four-week series called Storytelling, and we're kind of going through the parables of Jesus. And, you know, when we talk about stories, stand by. We talk about stories, we, we kind of paint this picture that stories over time um, shape our perspective. They change the way that we see the world. They change the way that we see ourselves. They shape our imagination. They really help us to learn more about who we are and that help those around us. But here's the thing with stories. Every single one of us has our story. And our stories are all unique, but there's a common thread that kind of goes through all of our stories and this idea of conflict. Because the only constant in everyone's story, that there's going to be conflict. Here's the thing with conflict. When we hear the term conflict, we begin to think about, like, drama, tension. You know, we kind of think about the real housewives of Beverly Hills or Vanderpump Rules of women screaming and throwing wine in their faces. And yes, that's kind of some tension, but really, conflict is not a bad thing because when conflict enters your life, when conflict enters the story, it begins to shape your character. It kind of creates the person that you are. And a story without conflict is just really information. And that's not that fun. So Jesus was a master storyteller, and his stories were called parables. Now I want to kind of talk about parables for just one second. Because many Christians, and, and often non-Christians, sort of hear the stories of Jesus, and I don't mean about Jesus, I mean the stories that Jesus tells, and they think they're real. But parables are, are fiction. Jesus made these stories up. He created these stories so that he could prove a point. And in reality, I don't think he'd be able to get his point across well enough if he didn't create these parables. So today we're going to be talking about the parable of the talent. The parable of the talents. If you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard this. But I want to talk to you about first, what is a talent? What does that mean? Because as English speakers in America, when we hear talent, we think about ability. We think about things that you're good at, things that you do well. You know, if you're Alexis, our singer over here, you know, she sings really great. If you're JB, you've got a talent for playing these drums. If you're Zach, you can squeeze yourself into those jeans. I mean, these are just, these are just the things that God has given us talents about. Now, as we move forward, as we talk about the parable today, remember the idea of what we consider talents to be. 
But when Jesus was talking about talents, he was actually referring to currency. Because back then, a talent was more like a bag of silver coins or a bag of gold. It was a unit of measurement, a unit of currency. So remember that. So we're jumping in today. We're going to be reading from Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Now, if you brought a Bible today, you can read along with us. If you didn't bring a Bible to church, don't worry. I never bring a Bible to, me, to church, and here's why. By the time I can figure out where Matthew 25 is, the sermon is basically done. So that's the truth. And I went to seminary. So here's the deal. Read along with us. This is why we have it up here for you guys. And then here's kind of a disclaimer that I gave the 9 a.m. service. The parable of the talents is a little on the long side. And I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like Adam stuck me with the long one so that he didn't have to do all the reading on stage. But let's just jump right in. For it's like a man going on a journey. Let me just pause right here. <clears throat> you know if like you're pausing before the first comma, you're in for like a long one. Jesus often launches into these parables by saying things like, for it's like a man, or for the kingdom of heaven is like. And the reason what he's doing is he's trying to let the people know a little bit about how the heavens work, or what you're kind of going to expect. And, but the one thing he never does is he never tells you exactly what heaven is like. We really don't get a picture of exactly what heaven is like at all in the Bible. And I just want to say that if you ever meet somebody who tells you exactly what heaven's going to be like, I would question him for a second. So here we go. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Now here's the thing. If you have a job, if you work in an office, there's really nothing unusual about this. You know that when the boss comes around, he's handing out projects. He's going to give people responsibilities. He's going to tell them what he wants of them, what he expects of them. And so in this world and on this earth, you're going to be entrusted with something. In this world and on this earth, you are going to be entrusted with something, just like these guys. Then he went away. Boss takes off. And he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. And so also he who had the two talents made two talents more. What's interesting about this is that Jesus kind of speeds past this real quick. He's not spending a lot of time, but these guys doubled their money. That's a big deal. The fact of the matter is they're doing a lot better than my current stock portfolio is doing. And the thing is, is that to double one's money takes risks. These guys had to put themselves out there. If you double your money, you could really fail. But they put themselves out there, and they did well. Moving on. But he would receive the one talent, went and dug in the ground, and he hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Let's talk about what it means after a long time, because a lot of theologians kind of camp out in this area, and they kind of say, well, what, is, what does Jesus mean when he's talking about a long time? Because he mentions it a long time in several of his parables. They're saying, well, is it a, is it a week? Is it a month? Is it a year? A kind of a lot of them think that when he's talking about a long time, it means a lifetime. That after a lifetime of these men having these things being entrusted to them, the master's coming back. The master's coming back, and he wants to see exactly what you've done. So he's settling the accounts. And this is nothing new to us. Again, thinking about your own job. At some point, you're going to have to give an account of how responsible you were with the things that you were given. You know, you may be brought into the boss's office, and he may do an employee evaluation. And he's going to say, you've been here nine to five. What have you been doing on the company's dime? How have you grown this company? What have you done for your coworkers? What kind of new business have you been doing? What have you been doing? If you're a student, you know that grades come out at the end of the semester. Your teacher's going to say, what have you been doing with your homework? 
Have you been studying? We've given you so many opportunities at this school. What have you done with them? At some point, each and every one of us is going to have to give an account for how responsible you were. And he who had received the five talents came forward. I'm sure he's a very proud individual. He came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. He's saying, I recognize the fact that you have given this to me. I recognize the fact that this is on loan from you. I recognize the fact this is not mine. You gave this to me. You asked me to do something with it. And look, here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Now, we kind of gloss over this word little. It kind of means nothing to us because we really have no frame of reference about what five talents are or what, any of this, what they're really talking about. But the fact of the matter is this. If you heard this story live for the very first time from Jesus' lips back in, let's call it, 20 AD or whatever, you would be laughing. Or you would kind of go like, sorry, a little? Did he just call this a little? Because five talents was equal to several lifetimes worth of salaries. It's an enormous amount of money. An incredible amount of money. And for Jesus to call it little was kind of shocking. But here's the thing. This is humor. This is humor for Jesus. Because in this day and age, um, in First Temple Judaism, the type of humor they used was called hyperbole. And it was grand exaggerations. They would make these grand exaggerations to kind of prove a point, to kind of shock your system, to kind of make you point. So Jesus is making a joke here. And what he's saying is that God... You made what you think is a ton of money. It may be several lifetimes worth of salary, but it's just a thing to me. And it may be big to you, but it's just little to me, and it's not really that much to me. But I'm proud of what you did with what I gave you. The second guy comes forward, who was given two talents, saying, Master, you delivered to me. He's using the same words. You delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master. Now it's the guy with the one talent. And you already know how the story goes, and these guys are aware of it, and he walks forward. Now, set the stage. These two guys have knocked it out of the park. This last guy is coming in. He dug it in the dirt. It is buried. Everybody knows except for the master what exactly he's done with it. So let's see how this plays out. Master, I knew you. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. Basically, what he's saying is this. Boss, before we begin, before we kind of go into the details of what I may have done or what I may not have done, before you ask me what I've done, I know we just talked about what they're doing, but before we go any further, I just want to let you know. I just want to set the record straight. It's your fault. It's your fault. Because I know the kind of guy you are. I know that you reap where you didn't sow, or you harvest where you didn't seed, or any of this farm stuff. I'm from New Jersey. I have no idea what they're talking about here. I know you do these things. And because of that, and because of the fact that you gave those guys five talents, and those guys two, and you only gave me one, because of all of that, I was afraid. I was afraid. And so I, I dug it in the ground. I put it in the ground. But look, here. Here, it's, here it is. It's back. It's yours. You can have it. It's fine. I didn't lose it. It's great. Here it is. I've just got to imagine the two guys who knocked it out of the park are just sort of seeing how awkward this scenario is. And they're kind of like my parents' dog when he's in trouble. They kind of just want to like back out of the room and just like, how do I not get involved with this hot mess that's going down? Here's the master. You wicked and slothful servant. 
you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reaped where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no sheep. He's not admitting that he does these things. What he's saying is that, okay, you're the smart guy. You're saying that you knew that I did these things. You're saying that I'm the reason that you didn't do anything. You know that I do these things that are maybe not the best practices. You knew this, right? So if you knew that, if you were aware of the kind of guy that I am, wouldn't you at least put it in the bank? Then you ought to have invested my money in the bank because then at my coming, I should have received what was my own, the one talent, plus interest. So take the talent away from that guy and give it to the guy with 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. i got to be honest with you. This is just me being honest. Growing up in church, you know, working in a church for a long time, I have heard this parable many, 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 many times. Many, many, many times. This never sat well with me. I never liked this. I never got comfortable. It makes me very uncomfortable seeing the boss's reaction because the first thing I say to myself is that this is Jesus telling the story. This is the man who's offering comfort to us, and he's talking about throwing people into the outer darkness where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is going on here? But as I sat and actually wrote the message for this week, something dawned on me. And I was thinking back to earlier in the message when he referred to five talents, an exorbitant amount of money as being something little. He's telling a joke here. And I don't mean it's a funny joke, but he's using a grand exaggeration. He's trying to prove a point. He's trying to shock their system. He's trying to say, guys, listen, I know this is crazy, but it's a story. It's a parable. I made it up. It's not real. I know this is crazy. I know this is an over-exaggeration, but what it's doing is it's saying to the audience, you need to pay attention right now. You need to pay attention right now, and you have to ask yourself, why? Why is the boss so mad? What happened that made him so disturbed that he takes away the, the talent and he throws the guy out in his butt? So what happened? I mean, is this a story about finances? Is he just annoyed at the fact that the guy had no return on his investment? Maybe. I mean, certainly that's part of it. This guy was running a business. This is not a charity. But what I think is really happening here is that this boss saw something in this servant. He didn't give him five. He didn't give him two, but he gave him one. And one talent is still a tremendous opportunity. He gave this guy an opportunity, and the guy did nothing with it. The boss sees untapped potential. The guy sees wasted opportunity, and that is why he's so disturbed. That is why Jesus goes over the top, because he wants to let you know how disturbing it is to the boss when he sees untapped potential, when he sees wasted opportunity, when he sees people take themselves out of the game because they begin to blame others for what they have or what they don't have. That's the parable. And the question you have to ask yourself is, well, what are we supposed to take from this? What is Jesus want us to do? What does he want us to ask ourselves? I think it's pretty simple. What are you going to do with what you have? What are you, as an individual here today, in Fort Lauderdale, in downtown Howard Church, what are you going to do with what you have? I want to do something with you guys. We're going to go through some things that we have, because before we talk about what are you going to do with what you have, you have to figure out what you have. And I understand that this sermon's talking about money, we're not talking about money today. I do not care about money at all. 
But we have to figure out what we have. Now, here's the thing. As we do this exercise, I want you to only think about yourself. I don't want you to think about your wife or your husband or your kids or your neighbor or the person to your left or to your right because Jesus is talking to you. He's asking you, what are you going to do with what you have? How about your family? Everyone here has a family. Everyone here has an interesting family and a different family. Do you have a wife or a husband? Do you have kids? Do you have a dad or a mom? Is your dad not around anymore? Is your mom no longer with us? Whatever your family looks like, that's specific to you. Only you have that exact variation of a family. So the question is this. With the family that you've been given, with the family that you have, what are you going to do with your family? How can you change the world around you? How can you change your family with what you've been given? What are you going to do with the family you've been given? How about your job? Where do you work? Are you an investment banker? Are you a hairstylist? Do you work for the police or in the yacht industry? Where do you work and what are you going to do with your job? How can you make a difference on the job? What can you change in your workplace? How can you impact the coworkers around you? What are you going to do with the job that you've been given, even if you don't like the job that you've been given? What are you going to do there? How about your education? Did you graduate high school? Did you go on to college? Did you go to a school nearby? Did you go to an elite school? Are you a doctor? What about your education? How are you using this to impact the world around you? What are you going to do with what you've been given here? How about your talents? Do you have special talents? Can you do magic tricks? All right. Can you skateboard? Can you sing? What can you do that can impact this world with what your talents are? Do you do nothing with them? Do you do nothing with your talents and just use them for yourself? Home. Where do you live? What neighborhood are you in? Are you in a good neighborhood? Are you in a bad neighborhood? Do you live on the water? Do you live in the city? Where do you live and how can you change where you live? And how about your car? If you've seen Adam's car, you know that he drives a little green car with tiny tires and it basically looks like a golf cart. I drive a Jeep Grand Cherokee with huge tires. It's a man's car. I'm not trying to prove anything with those tires. I'm just saying. And you're close. We mentioned Zach's tight jeans. I don't know. What are you wearing? How can you change the world based on what you wear? But lastly, all of this put together, the one thing that we all have is we've got a history. You have a history. The things that have happened to you, the opportunities that you've had, the jobs that you've had, the places that you live, the family that you have, the education that you had, you've got a history. And I believe, I believe that all of these things are very unique to you. Because even your family, who lives in the same place that you have and have shared the experiences that you have, they still don't have exactly what you have because you are a unique combination of things entrusted to you. You, as an individual, at Downtown Harbor Church this morning, are a unique combination of things that have been entrusted to you. And I don't think we think about our life like that. Because the fact of the matter is this. The talents to those servants, they were entrusted to those men. And I believe that your home, I believe your job, your wife, your husband, your kids, your education, I believe that all of those things have been entrusted to you by God for you. I believe you're special because of that. I believe you're unique because of that. When you think about this sometimes, we think back our history and we say, well, if you're saying that God kind of served up my life in a silver platter, what about the bad things that happened to me? Are you saying that God allowed those bad things to happen to me? I'm not coming here and saying that God made the bad things happen to you. But what I'm saying is this. God can use those bad things for good if you let him. He can use those bad things for good if you let him. Because you're a unique combination of things that have been entrusted to you. 
And here's why that's important. Only you have your life. We tell our kids that they're special, but I think as adults we kind of forget the fact that we're also special. Because only you can do what you can do with what you have. Only you can do what you can do with what you have. I know that's a mouthful, but I like the fact that that's a mouthful because it's the truth. God placed you exactly where you are, in the time that you are, in the job that you have, with the education that you have, with the family dynamic that you have. Because he wants you to do something special. He doesn't care about the particulars, but he cares about the grand story. Because only you can do what you can do with what you have. Here's where the conflict comes back into the story. When you think about the things that you have, and the area that you live, and the school that you went to, and the family that you have or don't have, society has a lot to say about that. Society has a lot to say about the things that we all have and the things that surround us. And if you begin to listen to society, they can fill your head full of doubt because they're quick to point out the things that have worth and the things that don't have worth. The things that matter and the things that don't matter so much. The people who are worth something and the people who are worth less or worthless. They're quick to point it out, but in the reality, it's all a lie. And it's a distraction. And if you listen, if you listen to what society says about you and the things that you have, you may take yourself out of the game like the first servant. You may start looking at society the way that he looked at his master. Master, I knew you to be this way. And because you do this, and because I wasn't given that, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to do anything. Because society says that my race has a hard time, I'm not going to do anything. Because society tells me that my gender doesn't do well in this particular job field, I'm not going to go there. Because society says that where I live is the bad part of town, I certainly can't go over to the good side of town. I certainly can't make an impact in this city. If you listen to society, if you listen to the lie, your head will be full of doubt. And you'll find yourself in the same position that the servant found himself in. You've taken yourself out of the game. You've taken yourself out of the game. You'll miss an opportunity. God has given you a tremendous opportunity in this world, a tremendous opportunity in this city, in your family, in your life. Only you can do what you can do with what you have. Don't focus on the things that you have. Society will quickly try to bring you down because what you do with what you have, what you do with what you have is more important than what you have. What you do with what you have is more important than what you have. It doesn't matter what society says about what you have. What you have is exactly what God planned for you. Doesn't mean your situation's not going to change. But right now, you're exactly where he wants you. Don't forget that. Because only you can do what you can do with what you have. Let me pray. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for the opportunity that we can come here today at Downtown Harbor Church. Lord, that we can speak about these ancient scriptures that are so timely, even for today. God, I pray that today this message would impact us in a, in a profound way. I pray that if there are people here today who have doubted themselves, Lord, who have looked at what you've given them and have said, because of what society says about me, I can't do anything. But Lord, the truth of the matter is this, God, you have given us exactly what you have given us for this time, and the time is now. And I pray that today, 
as we close this service, I pray that today people would just love the things that you have entrusted to them and you would show them how to do what only they can do with what you've given them. Lord, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.